Hey, uh, good morning, Christ City Church. Uh, good morning, everybody watching via one of our five uh, watch parties. It's uh, really encouraging to see everybody together, kind of peppered throughout the DMV. Uh, we've got a few folks here. What's up? Man, this is great. I'm excited. It's like uh, I'm not just, you know, saying what I say here to like Justin and Andrea and Nikki. <laughs> like we got some other folks here. So um, thank you to each of you uh, hosts. Uh, for opening up your homes and your yards and just making sure that everything is safe and clean and welcoming. Just really, really grateful uh, for you. And listen, those of you who are streaming from home or wherever it is that you are, a big thanks to you as well for continuing to join us via Zoom and on our YouTube channel. Um, even as things begin to open up and as we as a church begin charting a course to return to in-person worship in the months ahead, as Justin uh, mentioned in the announcements, I just want to assure you that we'll continue streaming so that you can join us virtually. Uh, we've come to see our virtual community as just, just important to what God is doing in and through Christ City, and we want to continue to uncover ways that we can be a place of discipleship and spiritual formation for you, even as we continue to deepen and strengthen our work here in Washington, D.C. So again, I just want to say, uh, wherever it is that you are, welcome uh, to Christ City Church. Uh, we are a church gathered and scattered to the glory of God and for the good of Washington, D.C. And so however it is that you're here, in a, in a, you know, like a yard chair or at home or wherever it is that you are, we're just genuinely glad that you're here. We, uh, we are at the midway point of our series on Galatians. It's a series that we have entitled Be Free. And this morning, I want to continue us in this series by having us look at a couple of themes that emerge from Galatians 3 and Galatians 4. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to try to keep this message on the briefer side because I know that you're in backyards. Some of y'all don't have shade and it's like creeping close to 90 degrees and the brood tent cicadas like they're flying around. So there's a few things that might be distracting you. But, I, you know, wherever it is, however it is, I just want to honor your presence. I want to honor your attention in the middle of all of it. Now, one of the prevailing themes of Paul's letter, one of the just the consistent motifs and uh, that Paul returns to throughout the letter is the theme of freedom. One of the things that he continues to say in uh, regular cadence is be free. Be free from the yokes of religion and religious justification and live in light of Jesus' liberating work on the cross and its implications for our lives. The anchoring passage for us that has been like our North Star for this series is Galatians 5.1, where Paul is writing and he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This theme of freedom is a powerful theme that Paul continues to hit on, and it's made all the more poignant because Paul is writing to the church in Galatia from prison. He's, he's reminding the church in Galatia and us that because of the work of Christ and because of uh, uh, the, the fact that we have placed our faith in Jesus, we are liberated from the yokes of sin and are now emancipated to join in the ongoing liberating work that Jesus is doing in the lives of others and in the spheres of life of all of humanity. But he's curating this masterful letter on freedom in a place where all of his freedoms have been stripped from him. He's incarcerated. He's in a jailhouse in Rome. He's far away from his family and from his community and his loved ones. 
The Apostle Paul, he was from the ancient city of Tarsus, which is in the southern part of Turkey, which is practically a suburb of Galatia, the people to whom Paul is writing. Paul, he's, but he's in a place that's, that's far away from the people that he loved and the land that raised him. And he's writing to them. And as he's writing, I just I, I imagine that he's, that he's imagining the land and the hills and the terrain. And he's remembering what it looked like in the spring when the land began to turn green and life jumped up out of the ground. I suspect he's remembering the sun on his skin like many of you are feeling, and the way that he had to squint and cover his eyes to see someone in the far distance who was walking to meet him. Perhaps he's remembering the sight of harvest season when the trees are full of fruit and the vines filled with grapes and the smells of the season and the smells of cut grass and drying hay fill his nostrils. I suspect he's imagining the faces of people that he knows that lived in that place, even those that attend the church in the neighboring Galatian communities. He's imagining their living rooms, maybe, where they'd be reading his letter or their backyards. A letter reminding them of freedom. All the while, he's locked away in a Roman jail cell, awaiting an uncertain future. Nevertheless, he's, he's dreaming of freedom. My brother-in-law, John, spent 10 years incarcerated in a Florida penitentiary. John is uh, one of a half dozen of my family members who've been locked up during my lifetime. John, though, uh, he was 18 when he went in. It's first-time offense. Lisa and I were living overseas when we got the news of his sentence. Over the years, we'd visit him, but not nearly enough. And he'd write to us, and we'd call, and... We'd update one another on the twists and turns of life, and we'd talk about how things would be different when things were different, how it would be for him when he was free, and for all of us. It was December of 2015 when he was released. It was Christmas Day that year. I got to say, I remember it so vividly. We drove down to Miami from D.C. in order to celebrate Christmas and celebrate John's release. And on Christmas morning, we woke up, we opened some presents, we had breakfast, and Lisa's dad went and picked up John. And when he walked in the room, the greetings and tears and the celebration, it was tremendous. And on that day, the first thing that he wanted to do was to go to the beach, which you can do on Christmas Day in Miami. So we all packed up, put on the trunks, first time I've ever done that on Christmas Day, and we went to the beach and we swam in the ocean. And I watched John, this man who had had so much of his freedom stripped for so long and so unjustly, and I watched him dive headlong into the ocean in celebration of his freedom. And I watched him toss his, his nieces and his nephews as high as he could into the sea, and he laughed and he celebrated and enjoyed his freedom. And when I think about Paul's ache for the Galatian church, when I imagine Paul writing from a cell in Rome, I hear him saying to us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And I imagine that Christmas day on South Beach, celebrating my brother's release and the joy and the beauty he displayed to all of us of what freedom looks like. When I think about that image, I can hear the ache in Paul's voice when he continues and he says, stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of enslavement. When you have experienced the beach and the ocean, why run back into a cell? 
Now, look, I got to tell you, my man John, he's married now to a great woman, three amazing kids, and he's an amazing barber living in North Carolina. I think he's like the only Cuban barber in North Carolina, and I sort of feel like his situation has the makings for an amazing TV show. But look, if you're looking for a man to clean you up, edge you up, you should hit my man John Rodriguez up. He'll take care of you. Let him know I sent you, all right? So, uh, clean myself up here. Last week, we dealt with Galatians 3, and we focused on the first two verses wherein Paul is is really ripping into the Galatians because they have become bewitched with a belief that they needed to add things to their faith in Jesus in order to be saved. The church had become enchanted with this notion that in order to follow Jesus, one had to follow Jewish customs, even if you weren't ethnically Jewish, in order to lay hold of the new life that Jesus offers. Paul, definitively, in all of that, he says, no, it's just just not true. It isn't our work or our effort or our ability to follow the law set out in the Old Testament. That's not what saves us. Rather, it is our faith in the one, in Jesus, in the one who did embody all of the law on our behalf. It It is faith alone in Christ alone. And from that place of faith, we then move out into a world displaying God's acts of love and compassion and justice and mercy and welcome and embrace. But these aren't to be, let's don't get it mixed up. These actions follow as a result of faith in the one who first showed us love and compassion and justice and mercy and welcome and embrace. This week, I want us to continue following Paul's line of argument within the letter. In Galatians 3.23 through 4.7, Paul turns his attention to two products that result from faith in Jesus, in the life of an individual believer, and in the lives of believers collectively. After after having reestablished the foundation of faith being belief in Jesus, Paul now articulates a couple of implications of that belief in the life of a believer. Those two implications that Paul identifies are that we now have A, a new humanity, and B, a new human family. Because of faith in Jesus, we are now part of a new humanity, and we are now part of a new family. Now, I want to acknowledge uh, that for some of you who have been tracking with Christ City Church for a while, uh, that this actually might sound a bit familiar, and that's because it's familiar. A year ago, Uh, In May of 2020, we walked through and preached through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians. And in in that letter, Paul raises the same argument, though for a different reason. In Ephesians, Paul was again wrestling with this Gentile Jewish divide and the inclusion of Gentiles into the family of God by way of faith in Jesus. And in that letter in Ephesians, he reminds them that because of Christ, there's now a new humanity and a new human family. Now, Here, in the church in Galatia, Paul is revisiting this truth, but he's doing it for a different audience and for a slightly different reason. One of the things that he points out here is that in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, uh, we can pick up on Paul's reasoning. uh, Let's take a look uh, in 326. Beginning, so in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have now clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul initiates the argument by using, he's using this family language, this familial language. But he's also using language that for those that uh, were Jewish backgrounded readers, 
this language would have triggered the Exodus imagery. He says to the church, listen, these people are children of God, meaning that you are a part of God's family. And the way that you gained entrance into this family was by way of faith. Again, remembering last week's message in the earlier passages in Galatians 3, Paul will never move past this truth of faith and neither ought we. But he goes on to say, you are God's children. But when Paul uses the phrase children of God or God's children, he's doing so intentionally because that phrase historically was used for Israel and has echoes of Exodus. In Exodus 4, when Moses first approaches Pharaoh, he says to Pharaoh on behalf of the Lord, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn. Israel is my, chi- my child. Let them go so they may worship me. In the beginning of the Exodus story, God has identified Israel as his firstborn, as his children. And moving forward in the story, Israel is regularly referred to as children of God. Now, Paul is harnessing this language, language that is embedded in Israel's liberation. And he's now using it not only for Jews, but for Gentiles, those who have historically been identified as decidedly not God's children. Yet, by including Gentiles, Paul is making an explosive statement and he's ramping up his argument, an argument that will say, because of faith in Jesus, the ways that we once regarded people, the ways that we once separated and segregated people, the the ways that we uh, employed artificial hierarchies of importance, importance or holiness or worthiness and then we overlaid those onto the lives of people created in God's image now because of Jesus those systems of human ranking and division are now dismantled and what is now in its place is something altogether revolutionary and this is what is all bounded up in Paul's small sentence in Galatians 3:26 so now in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. But Paul isn't content to just leave it there. He wants to be crystal clear. So then he goes on in verses 27 and 28. For all of you who were baptized, who, who, who uh, went through the, 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 the baptismal waters and uh, were raised to new life, all of you who were baptized into Christ have now clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, the subversive move that Paul is making is the erosion of the categories of division that existed in the Roman and Jewish societies of the day. Divisions and hierarchies of ethnic identity that held some more highly than others. Gender divisions between male and female. Social divisions between slaves and those those who were in bonded service to others and those who are free. Now, there's a few things that uh, need to be said about this context of of Paul's day and, frankly, the misapplications of Paul's words. There are times where we, from our 21st century vantage point, we look back on a 2,000-year-old text and we see language that strikes us as misogynistic or uh, it carries notes of uh, patriarchy. And sometimes we encounter that because there were parts of ancient Near Eastern culture that were patriarchal. And the biblical language reflects its culture in order to communicate its point. In these verses, Galatians 3, we uh, also have to grapple with the language of slavery. And we need to address it when we come across it, just as we've done in the past when we preach through other verses where the issues of slavery uh, are encountered. 
But let us keep in mind that the theme of Galatians is freedom. And so consequently, if in our reading of Galatians we come away with an understanding of faith in Christ that results in something other than freedom because of Christ, we have to return again to the text for we have made an interpretive error. One of the ways that, um, that I said this when we walked through Ephesians a year ago uh, was to say that in any and all cases where Scripture is used to advocate for the subjugation of humans is to do violence to the gospel and to allow violence to be done to those made in God's image. God is a freedom-giving God, and the gospel is a freedom-giving message, the theme of Galatians. Paul here makes reference to slavery. Slavery in the ancient world and in the biblical world, it was quite different than the chattel slavery of America. It didn't carry the, the same dehumanizing quality of American slavery that stated that African Americans were three-fifths human. Slavery in the ancient world, it, uh, slaves had a measure of autonomy. They could enter and leave slavery. They could amass wealth and own property. Nevertheless, and although Paul, he, he doesn't, in this place, he doesn't outright condemn the institution of slavery in Galatians as much as I wish that he would have, he does in other places. In 1 Timothy, he says that, that slave trading is contrary to sound doctrine, that it's just incompatible with the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 7, similarly, Paul encourages those in slavery to find their freedom. In Philemon, a letter that Paul writes to an owner of slaves, Paul writes that he should free his slaves. I say all this to say that what Paul is doing in Galatians 3, 27 and 28 is that he's using the categories of the day. He's using ethnic categories and religious categories and gender categories, and he's running them alongside the language of, of Abraham and decidedly masculine and, and patriarchal language, and he's referencing Abraham's seed, and he's referencing sonship, and he's using all of this language that is associated with power and with privilege, and then he turns and he demolishes those very categories he's saying that the culturally bounded ways that we have used to divide people into hierarchies they are just inappropriate for the children of God it isn't power that gives one status it isn't gender it isn't ethnic identity it isn't access to wealth it isn't any of those things that came to us by birth but rather it is the one thing that came to us by faith Jesus Faith in Christ becomes the great liberator from the bondage of viewing oneself and others through the lenses of status keeping. Christ has set us free from that. Now this passage isn't saying that who we are ethnically or culturally, that that doesn't matter or that our gender doesn't matter. That isn't what Paul is saying because those things do matter. And actually, uh, who we are in our own skin is beautiful. And in Christ, we get to become more of who we are ethnically and culturally and gender-wise, not less of who we are. Paul isn't diminishing the image of God in us, not at all. What he is diminishing is the pattern of living that says some people matter more than others and others matter less, that some people have greater access to God and some don't based on ethnicity or gender or otherwise. Paul is saying, no, that's just not the case. In Christ, there is a new humanity. There is a new human order, a new human family where everyone has access to God through Jesus and we are all God's children. This is the message and this is the freedom. 
to continue to run back to other ways of organizing ourselves. Well, why return to a yoke of slavery? We are free. We are free in Christ. Let me pray for us.